Hello and welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth, and this is Season 4, Episode 13, Year of Unity, with Anne Duplan. Mr. Duplat is a trans poet, curator, and artist. He's the author of a book of essays, Black Space, on the poetics of an Afro-future, and a full-length poetry collection, Take This Stallion, and a chapbook, Mount Carmel and the Blood of Parnassus. He's taught poetry at the University of Iowa, Columbia University, and will teach at Sarah Lawrence College and St. Joseph's College. His video works have been exhibited by Flux Factory, Data Editions, and the 13th Baltic Triennial in Lithuania. And his work will be exhibited at the Institute of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles in 2021. As a curator, he's facilitated projects in Chicago, Boston, Santa Fe, and Reykjavik, he was the 2017 to 2019 Public Programs Fellow at the Museum of Modern Art and the Studio Museum in Harlem. In 2016, he founded the Center for Afrofuturist Studies, an artist residency program for artists of color based at Iowa City's artist-run organization called Public Space One. He spoke to us about accessibility in art, Afrofuturism, and driving social change through community building in the arts. Here's Anne. My name is Anne Duplan. I publish under my full name Anaïs Duplan. I am a poet and an arts administrator and a an audio visual <laughs> I'm still figuring that part out video artist um getting into radio stuff too um in college I was a visual arts student initially and it wasn't really clicking so I did um the social sciences for a while and then towards the end of college decided to take a poetry class and um, it sort of was kind of an electric <laughs> experience and I kept doing it after that. I was born in Haiti, um, so I identify as Caribbean um, and moved to the States when I was three years old um, and have lived here mostly except for three years that I lived in um, Cuba. So I've been either in the States or in the Caribbean. Um, and I'm trans, uh, which informs how I think about a lot of things. <laughs> um, and uh, practice Buddhism, and I'm 28. Um, and I'm middle class. From, from ages 9 to 12, I lived with my mom in Cuba um, because she was the working as the ambassador of Haiti to Cuba. Um, and so we moved there and I really didn't 
want to move there because <laughs> I was nine and I was like, but all my friends are here. Um, but yeah, it was a really formative experience of my childhood. For a while after college, I was doing independent curatorial work um, and I was reaching out to artists um, around the world and asking them to create work that was responding to um, prompts that I was giving them about thinking about the future, um, thinking about human impact on that future, on the environment, um, and things like that. Uh, and then would put the work that they created in traveling exhibitions that I was doing. Um, and I did that for a little over a year and then got into grad school um, for poetry uh, and moved to Iowa City. And while I was there, actually started planning it before I moved there, but um, started an artist residency program called the Center for Afrofuturist Studies, um, which still continues. Um, but I conceived of it as a way to continue to do the work that I was doing, um, but in a more stationary way. Um, and I also work at an arts organization here in Brooklyn, where I live, um, called Recess. Um, and I do very similar things at Recess and at the center. Uh, basically, I help artists of color realize socially engaged work. Um, and they do all sorts of things from like figuring out production logistics. Like there's this one artist right now who's trying to figure out how to, how to um, fry a nine foot American flag using 16 grills. <laughs> yeah. Um, and initially they were like, oh, I'll do it in the gallery. And we were like, no, you will not. Um, but things like that, like it, it's a lot of fun to um, kind of try to bring an artist's vision to life and, and also figure out how to connect them with um, community members and other artists who are relevant to their work. Kevin Jerome Everson, Company Line, 2009, 30 Minutes. Black man behind the wheel of car pours wiper fluid on his windshield, still from inside the car by opening the door and reaching his hand out a black man who says he makes $30,000 a year after 16 years drives a truck, Columbus, Mississippi, 1981, moved here, stayed for five years, went back to Mississippi. His name is Swope, describes snow season, leaves season, cutting grass, working asphalt in summertime, city of Mansfield, many black people behind the wheels of cars, two men state 
exactly July 4, 1975, when they arrived, when they started working their cement in relative darkness, he says he went to school in Asheville inside the car as a woman on the radio sings a song where he worked before garbage truck ski slopes, bunch of places everywhere, bricklayer, artesia, Westinghouse, Nashville tire, scrapyard. He has a daughter who just got back from Iraq who reminds me of stepping in already placed footprints. There's a little introduction part in Black Space, um, my book, Black Space, that talks about um, where all these poems come from. Um, they are in response to video artworks by Black video artists. Um, and a lot of that work is in the archives at places like Video Data Bank or Electronic Arts Intermix, which is only accessible to scholars, um, and you kind of have to travel there to see a lot of what they have. So um, basically, that means most people can't see it. Um, and so I wanted to write some poems that make them um, accessible in a different way. Well, for a long time, my poetry had nothing to do with my arts administration life. Like I, I wanted to keep them separate and poetry was something I did on my own and was a way of thinking about a lot about relationality. That my social sciences background, like I did sociology and anthropology. And so a lot of thinking about the, the way that we use language to relate to one another and how the way we use language speaks about who we are that would enter into the poetry a lot and so I was thinking about my own relationships to people but I was also thinking about like um, our culture's relationship to pop culture and you know gender and all of these things yeah and then arts administration was like where I did my sort of social stuff and now they are all mixed together and my poems are also doing what I'm doing in my arts administration, which is lifting up the work of black artists and artists of color and trying to shine some light upon it. <laughs> Everything's like coming together. I've been, I have this mantra this year that it's like the year of unity, <laughs> like against all odds. I'm interested in like the the idea of newness and its cultural value and the way that like I mean like the aesthetic of like black cool for example um is is about like novelty and 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 to an extent, like creating new things using old things, like sampling and 
um, recycling and, and things like that. Um, but I, I'm like not convinced that it's like a useful idea. <laughs> um, and, and in part because like as I was doing research into work by black video artists that, you know, stretched back into like the sixties and I, I was like, oh, like the, the, everything, like they've, people have been doing w what would be contemporary art now forever. Like, and, and they don't understand, like I, to me, it's more interesting to talk about how what's happening now is similar to what's happened before than to talk about how what's happening now is new. Um, all that to say, I think about the future a lot in terms of things that have already happened. <laughs> I think that the pandemic has like forced everything to slow down or even to stop. And that was hard for a lot of people initially or continues to be hard, especially if that's like, um, that slowdown impacts you economically or psychologically or is isolating, like all of those things are, are taxing. But there is this way that like this slower pace of life to me opens up possibilities for the future where we actually just move more slowly and with more intention and then are able to be kind of more responsive and spontaneous to what's happening in the moment, which we're all forced to do right now because we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but I just wonder if like, as a culture, we could sort of maintain some of this scrappy responsiveness and slowness and reflectiveness um, in to whatever comes next. The divide between like art and life is like breaking down in all these ways, um, for better or for worse. Like, like I was talking to an artist friend um, and she was saying she saw this advertisement that was like, um, need to have a difficult conversation, talk to a hostage negotiator. <laughs> and like, that is not art, supposedly, but it also is, it's absurd. And it, and it, and um, so there's all these ways that like the breakdown of truth and things like deep fakes, but also like the way that social media opens up doors for everyone to kind of be a little artist of your own life. <laughs> like, um, I think art will become more and more potent as it kind of like blurs, blurs more and more, like wh what is, where does art stop and life begin? Like that, that kind of divide. Um, so that's how I see, that's, that's how I see art kind of um, playing a role, like when it just gets sort of melted into life.
I think it it's oh it's been helpful to me to have to separate the process of writing from the process of revision and so to do free writes or brain dumps um, and and then have like very structured rules for how revision happens um, so that it becomes a process of like trying to excavate from what you already have uh, something that's kind of like hidden inside. Um, and so I'll have people do like a kind of a long free write because the thing about free writing is you're like, oh, it's so amazing for like the ten, first 10 minutes. And then at like 11 minutes, you're like, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> or you start to think more like the brain comes back on and then you start judging it. Like the sort of like free part of free writing is sort of short lived. But so I think the really juicy stuff happens from like minutes 10 to 20 when you have to actively push yourself to keep going faster than your mind is going and to like just really not think about what's happening. Um, and then in revision, um, a sort of like gentle approach where you're really just trying to find what's already there and you're not making anything happen. Um, maybe you can answer who, what, when, where, why for yourself. Like who is in, who is in this writing? What's happening in this writing? Why does this seem to be happening? And maybe clarifying those things, but not really adding um, anything. And if you do subtract things, it's like this very precious moment, like, the gentlest, the gentlest process. Sometimes people go crazy and they start slashing things. And I think, you know, it's like the harder thing there is to like, let it, let it be, you know, and, and to kind of just with a gentle touch, bring it to, bring it somewhere more finished. You can follow his work at worksofanais.com. That's W-O-R-K-S-O-F-A-N-A-I-S.com. This episode was sponsored by the Oregon Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, the Kenton Action Plan, North Portland Community Works, and the Oregon Cultural Trust. Thank you so much for your sponsorship. The episode was written and produced by me, Joni Whitworth, and edited by Matt Larimer. The music for this episode was written and produced by Standing On End. Check them out at standingonend.bandcamp.com or on Instagram at standingonend. If you have any questions or feedback about the show, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out at futureprairie.com or on social media at futureprairie. Thanks so much. <laughs>